Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to episode number 42 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates, and uh, I'm bringing back my friend and my editor at T Nation, Danny <laughs> Shepard. Um, so if you guys aren't already familiar with Danny and haven't listened to her two appearances in the past on the old format, Danny is, as I said, an editor and a writer for T Nation, uh, a lifelong devoted lifter, natural lifter, and uh, the co-host of her own podcast, Fit Pants, with her husband, Chris also T Nation editor. So it's great to have you back. Thanks. It's good to be here. I'm so used to like listening to you while I'm doing chores or like painting a bathroom or something. So it's really cool to like hear your voice talking to me, even though I feel like you're talking to me when you podcast anyway. So it's pretty cool. You've been a very enthusiastic listener from early on. And I wasn't planning on kind of talking about this, but I suppose it's worth going into it. I get a ton of questions about how to get started writing, how to get published, certainly how to get on T Nation. Sure. And I've told the story, uh, parts of the story a number of times, but it was us connecting through Facebook. I saw you in some thread with a bunch of other people. We have tons of mutual friends, tons of you know other uh, writers for T Nation. And so I just added you, I sent you a message and said, hey, I've been reading your stuff for forever. Like I literally, for the, my entire career. And so we got to chatting and you dove in and jumped into my podcast right away because I was interested in having you on as a guest. You started listening before I even expected. I circled back around after a couple of weeks, said, hey, I want to get you in. I got, I got space. So you're a great guest. And then within a few weeks, you turn around and ask me if I would write for T-Nation, which of course is, was a dream come true. And I was You know, after excited. meeting you, like we met and I was like, well, why aren't you writing for T-Nation? Like if you're a fan of it, you've been a coach for XYZ amount of time. You were enthusiastic when we met. And I'm like, you're a fun person who's knowledgeable and I can tell that you can write. So why aren't you writing for T-Nation? So I think the takeaway here is number one, learn to fucking write. I studied this shit. I read writing books all the time. <laughs> But more than that, if someone's interested, I used to have this belief and I've been planning on kind of publishing this, this notion, but when I first started as a trainer and I was reading Tenacious, it was one of my favorite resources. And, you know, I'm reading Lee Boyce and Nick Tuminello, Ben Bruno, you name it. And then there's this Dean Somerset guy who also happens to, whoa, there's a Dean Somerset that works in the same company I do on the, like the session total monthly list. I'm like, oh shit, they're the same guy. Cool. Whoa. Awesome. Yeah. Right. And that's awesome. But I, I used to think of this tier and this status of these elite coaches that write for things like T Nation. And then there's everybody else. There's all the rest of us who just work on the gym floor. And there's this giant divide and I could never do that sort of thing. And as time goes on, well, look what happens. And the first lesson there is, well, shit, don't go in with that attitude that you couldn't possibly, if you are ambitious enough to want to do this, you certainly have to develop the, the coaching skills, the technical skills, and establish enough for career capital and also be able to write. But if you pursue all those things, there's no reason why someone can't submit to you. So you know what? Let's go there really quickly. How do people get on the T-Nation? How, how do they earn that honor? Well, um, you scroll down to the bottom of the website, and then you click this little button <laughs> where you can submit articles. So literally, it's... I mean, okay, so there is kind of a barrier to entry in that, like, you need to have a, a perspective on something that's not commonly held, you know, like, if you're trying to tell people about stuff that we've already heard about, and everybody knows is true, then it's like, that's not going to be a good article that everybody's going to want to read, right? You know, like saying, sleep is important. Okay, yeah, <laughs> we got that. 
So you just need um, an interesting perspective, maybe a different perspective, well, obviously a different perspective and then information to back that up. But it's also good if you have time in the trenches doing anything like coaching and, and, or if you have like letters behind your name, I hate to say that though, because like, I don't want to discourage anybody who's like not a PhD and whatever, you know? So like, if you're knowledgeable about a topic and you've spent a lot of time in it, then I think that that'll come through in your writing, you know, that confidence will come through. And yeah, I, I, I think the letter's actually really valuable. There's a lot of people that I follow in the industry who very, very highly accomplished and well-educated people that yeah. treat as great resources. But sure. right, also some really awesome people over the years. Uh, I think Ben Bruno really comes to mind. Not super highly credentialed, but he's got some of the, the best stuff that's ever been on T Nation, some stuff that's- Tons of experience. When it came to anything to do with TRX or single leg work, you know, early in my career, Ben was the guy writing that stuff. So that was really valuable. And I'm thinking now of some guys who I'm- you know, currently writing projects with. So assuming it gets published, I've sent you guys something with Ben Mudge. Now, Ben is going to be fun because I made him film all the video. He's got his shirt off most of the time. He kind of looks like Thor. He's got a fun, easy nature about him. His social media is fantastic. And then I'm also going to talk with another friend, Tim DeFrancesco. And if we can make something work, well, Tim's a PhD. He's a doctor of physical therapy and a strength coach, right? Former uh, strength coach of the LA Lakers. So <laughs> totally different background. <laughs> But at the same time, if, if they're fun, they have great ideas, they're, uh, they're good oh, yeah. well on that medium. So yeah, I think we'll move on from this, but if anybody is interested, you guys are always interested in looking for people who would be a great fit for your publication. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think once you read T Nation and kind of get the vibe of it, then you'll know, I mean, it's not, it's not super fluffy and rah, rah, rah. It's more like, um, here's how to, here's how to get stuff done. You know, it's just very, but I mean, there is a wide variety of perspectives. I'm not going to say that every single person writes the same and there are conflicting opinions in there. I mean, even between the editors, even between me and my husband, crap, <laughs> we're not the same. And, and I think even those who write for us often change their perspectives over time. I think we all evolve eventually. And I even look back on my early stuff and cringe because like, I don't have those same perspectives and maybe I kind of wrote like a douchebag my first few years. <laughs> so I don't think that we are all meant to agree about everything. And even the same person disagrees with themselves after time, you know? So, um, so you don't have to have T-Nation's perspective. You don't even have to have T-Nation's sound and try not to sound like someone else. Try not to have someone else's voice, even if you admire them. Develop your own writing voice and discover like what's important to you and put that out there, especially if it's an opinion that not a lot of people have seen already. Occasionally over the years, I've seen people who've quote criticized T-Nation for, you know, contradicting itself. And I've always found this to be a really good response to it. Well, first of all, you know, it's a mm -hmm. platform where a lot of different authors are, are uh, yeah. being published. It's not in of itself one core philosophy. Right. But it's a really good resource and exercise in reading through a lot of information and deciding for yourself what aligns with your training principles 
and quite frankly, what is great quality information versus something that doesn't serve you. So I think mm -hmm. it's one of the best exercises in developing a discerning eye about, we have this vast array of resources. In fact, we have all sorts of shit on the internet and Instagram. Now the average information on Teen Nation is gonna be massively higher than the average information just straight up on Instagram, but the same rules apply. You're going to see different levels of applicability and quite frankly, quality. So if you get good at discerning what is really going to be beneficial to you, your clients and your career, that's a valuable skill to take everywhere. Well, we don't like accept low quality perspectives. You oh. know, we're, we wouldn't accept anything that's like not backed up. And anyone who puts a, an opinion out there, they have to support that, you know? So it's not like Instagram where anyone can just press publish. I mean, there is, I mean, I've had articles rejected from T Nation. Well, I rejected from my husband. <laughs> so like, I can tell you that it's not just like easy to just poop something out and put it on there. Not at all. Yeah. And, you know, and, and nor would I, you know, intend to imply anything of the sort. Uh, yeah. I get, I got what you meant though, to like be discerning of like what you accept. Now, the thing is though, is that like different information applies to people at different times. Like when I'm trying to focus on strength, okay, I'm going to read the Ripto articles. I'm going to read the, um, oh, uh, Windler articles. I'm going to read the Thibodeau. Well, any goal, I'm going to read the Thibodeau articles, right? Because <laughs> he kind of captures everything. But like, if depending on what my goal is, I'm going to go to different sources for that. You know, for fat loss, I'll go to one person. For nutrition, I'll go to one person. But like, it's good to see like a wide variety of experts who maybe don't agree with each other all the time. Because like a lot of even, you know, going back to the PhD tier crowd, they don't all agree about everything. There's oh my gosh, that's so true. There's a lot of fundamentals that we generally accept. And there's always somebody who, I'll have a little fun with Joel Seidman, for example, and he's a PhD and he's been on T Nation. And Joel really, really has doubled down on this whole idea of this half squatting and anything deeper is, uh, is problematic. And there's a lot of other people in the industry have torn that, yeah. that stuff apart in the research that he's citing and says, you know, the deeper squatting is perfectly safe and fine. I know Mike Isertel and RP have done recent stuff on this and Sam Spinelli has been all over it. He's a PhD of, uh, of physical therapy. So you're going to get really, really smart people who are going to interpret things in different ways. And even mm -hmm. then there's still applicability to what, you know, this other PhD is doing. Yeah. And I, it would be so interesting to be trained by those people. And I come from a different perspective than you, like the opposite where I want to be trained by everyone <laughs> and you're a trainer. So like everyone whose articles I read and edit, I'm like, okay, I get their perspective. I'm going to try out what they suggest here. And sometimes I wish I could just be trained by them because it's not enough to read what they write. It's like, I want to be coached by Joel Seedman who has these perspectives because I've seen videos of what his people do, his, the people that he's training do. And I'm like, that is interesting. I've never done that on my own. I would like to see how that works, you know? And Joel, you know, despite that one specific example, Joel works with major league baseball players and a lot of other extremely accomplished high-level athletes. And there's certainly something you can learn a lot from Joel, anybody who follows his media. He's got a huge following. Yeah. He's great at creating novel, engaging stuff that for some people, they get soaked right in. And for other people, they want to rip it apart. Now, Joel never turns around and fights with them. He just leaves them alone. 
he is on his mission and anybody who doesn't like what Joel is doing, you know, he's totally ignoring them and he is serving his ends while everybody else is caught up in, you know, attack mode with Joel. And again, he's delivering great results with high level people. It's, yeah. And if you see the women who train with Joel, yeah. holy crap, yep, <laughs> they look amazing. And you can tell that they have been using his methods and getting jacked. And that's, it's so impressive to see. Absolutely. So I, I think if anything, it's really good to keep an open mind about this stuff. And again, going back to the point of our conversation is if you get into a resource like T-Nation, you're going to see a broad array of perspectives yeah. exposed to ideas that maybe break you out of certain rigid thinkings that, uh, that we've, we've learned to develop. And I could list off, oh God, hundreds of influential and great people in our industry that I've learned things from over the years. And if anybody listening has noticed that there are certain people who seem to just be entirely part of one camp, they have one coach, yeah. or PhD, or, you know, bro, who is their guru, and they listen to everything that person says, there are some people with PhDs that are, I consider friends, who I don't agree with every little thing they say. Yeah. And I think if you only immerse yourself in one person's philosophy, you're doing yourself a, and your clients a disservice. Yeah. Isn't there like a quote? Uh, I'm going to butcher this. It's something like uh, some kind of philosophy of like, don't listen to the man of one book. Oh gosh. I fucked that up. That's wrong. <laughs> but like, if you only pay attention to one person and one way of thinking, you're going to miss out on so many different things. And uh, I don't know, like, I've just noticed that like, in the past, when I thought XYZ was the one way to train and that's all I did. And I pursued it so hard. I ended up getting injured and bored and chubby and like not excited about training anymore. You know what I mean? And I'm mainly talking about running. <laughs> I was awful. Like I'm a big person. What am I doing running long distance? You know, and running isn't something I enjoy. In fact, I've held for a very long time, a bias, uh, against, cardio and doing cardio. I'm a big guy. I'm 255 pounds most of the time. And I recently read, uh, I was mentioning off air, Joel Jameson is, uh, I'm going to record him after you, but he'll appear for everybody listening before. Cool. Yeah. Everybody should have already heard this episode and it's a book on uh, ultimate MMA conditioning, but it's actually one of the best breakdowns of energy system development and practical training methods that I've ever read. And I bought an Airdyne bike literally because of this. Oh, wow. Uh, work on my, I mean, certainly it's a versatile piece of equipment for anaerobic work, mm -hmm. work, but I got it so that way I could prop up my tablet and, uh, and watch coursework that I want to. Otherwise I don't have the attention span for hop up on the bike and stay there for 25 minutes and do this stuff. So cool. it's opened my eyes. Plus I'm 43. I'm getting a little older and you know, Hey, the energy wasn't quite what it used to be. Maybe, maybe there's something to this. Maybe I should actually develop my cardiovascular capacity. So that's a shifting <laughs> attitude over time. Now yeah. it ties into something I was going to ask you and I'll just read it the way I, I stated it. So as the editor of T nation, you've got a thumb on the pulse of this stuff. How has the fitness consumer changed? I guess over time, certainly maybe the last year and a half, because we've seen a major seismic shift in a lot of things. Have we seen any important shifts in our end user market uh, or any acceleration of trends that coaches certainly need to know about? That is a really great question because I think, I think as more and more publications 
become extremely politically correct. I think that there are more end users who are like noticing that and kind of wanting the opposite, you know, and it's difficult with political correctness because now when you state facts, people see that as shaming, like fat shaming, for instance, if you say, you know, being lean is healthy, (laughs) then people will see that as fat shaming. So like, I think the end user is just wanting honesty. I think the end user has always wanted honesty, but I think when more and more publications pander and become more politically correct, then I think people want the opposite and the opposite becomes refreshing because it becomes unique. I think that's fair. And I've watched, I keep my thumb on the pulse of this. I won't touch political or social stuff, contentious stuff on my social media in large part due to the fact that I find most people coming in don't want to see it. We're inundated with it everywhere. You know, there's a lot yeah. of, and outrage sells, outrage. But truth sells. should not be political, so, right? No. We, we know the difference of that. And I won't get into specific examples because again, I'm going to stay out of the politics. But I think anyone who's trying to build a social media following, it can seem like an easy shortcut to, and I'll use the term pander directly to maybe, you know, the more aggressively progressive stuff, dare I use the word woke. And one of the dangers with that, and the flip side is true for the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Is you then attract a following that thinks that way. And then of course, you are more aggressively policed uh, by the things that you say. I mean, uh, Spencer Dulski uh, is amazing. You know, he's the authority when it comes to like obesity, healthy weight loss, all that sort of stuff. You know, he's a doctor. Sure. And, and Spencer doesn't court these types, but he does occasionally share, you know, things. He, he's all about like the understanding that you don't have to lose weight, but if you want to, here's the information. And he's pretty clear that, okay, here's the health stuff involved with this. And every once in a while, you see somebody who is actually, this is a regular thing. He gets attacked for being fat phobic. This is no way the most like the, the least fat phobic or least intolerant. Yeah. Type. And this guy gets attacked on a regular basis for he is like one of the most compassionate doctors online. <laughs> like that's so strange. And he's really good about like handling this sort of stuff. But you know, if you don't want to deal with a, a constant deluge of that. Well, maybe don't court that type of audience in the first place. I'll just say that much. That's right? Strange. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. <laughs> so with obviously being a major publication for fitness information, and one of the trends that I think has probably been accelerated, we'll see if it, it halts once it, the world reopens, is people accumulating home gyms, elaborate home gym setups. Yeah. So obviously I've written two articles for T nation on, you know, home, uh, full body dumbbell workouts. Those are really fun. Those did well. Yeah. Have you, have you noticed more desire for that kind of information and what do you think is going to happen going forward? Um, I think that, so in our area, gyms have really opened up, you know, and people are heading back now. I don't know what the trend is going to be. Like if it seems like, not everybody who was going to a gym is going to return. Right. But at the same time, I think that there was such a, um, 
an outpouring of like really good at home workouts and that sort of thing that, um, I think we got inundated with just body weight, this body weight, that, and home workout, this home workout that. So I'm not sure that that's going to be like the topic going forward because there was so much of that. Now I could be totally wrong because I, I don't have a crystal ball, but, um, I'm not sure. I mean, that's such a good question. It could go either way. And I think more people, you're right. More people are working out from home, even still, even now that the gyms have been opening back up in our area. So I don't know. It's, it's a great question. I suspect the people who are doubling down on the home gym experience are going to actually are going to go get better equipment. They're going to have racks and you're going to notice it's not just, uh, you know, a bunch of dumbbells or a set of adjustable dumbbells, yeah. but there's a TRX hanging from the ceiling and there's a safety squat bar. Yeah. So I think some of the regular stuff that applies both the in-gym setting, but also the equipment more and more people start having in their home gyms. I mean, I went and bought a leg press for my home basement gym. Now, Get I out also, of here. Yeah, seriously. And it's a, it doubles as a, a leg press and a hack squat. Oh, um, I'm so it, jealous. <laughs> it doesn't load. I, I got to get, I got too many bumper plates. I got to get some of the other kind because not enough of the bumpers will fit on it to really be a okay, lot. Okay, they're it. too wide. Yeah. Yeah, they're too wide, but it's still kind of cool. And it works for the vast majority of my clients. Not everybody's going to have a leg press, but oh, well. Um, but I think <laughs> we're going to see more demand for stuff in an in-home environment but that still has regular gym equipment. Okay. So your prediction is as people accumulate fancier equipment, we're going to want more. Yeah, that could be, that could definitely be the case. And again, that mm. stuff applies to workouts in the gym anyway. So I still think yeah, exactly. that's available in the gym. I'm working on a, on a, a calf training article that you guys may or may not publish depends on what I put in there. But one of the things I was thinking about was doing some safety bar loaded stuff for caps. I'm going to be yeah. filming in my basement and I've got to see if it fits the theme of that article. We'll see. Right? We'll get there when we get there. Um, yeah. Cat, you know what? I'm, I'm sure that that'll do well because calves are just so hard for certain people. And now I have big, giant, meaty girl calves. <laughs> They're enormous. And I wish I could make them smaller, but, um, yeah, for certain people, that's just a really challenging body part. It's so weird how genetics are like that, how some people like naturally just have huge calves and then other people have, like struggle with that area. I have a theory too. Do you? This has got to be in the article. Yeah. I think that we, we talk about how difficult it is to grow calves all the time, but I think most people are doing it entirely wrong. Number one, they're not throwing anywhere near enough training volume. And I think this is well understood that especially the soleus, it's a lot of slow twitch muscle fiber. You're walking around on them all day. They're designed mm -hmm. for, for a lot of use. So they need a lot of training volume that much for starters in order to get enough training volume. You have to train them probably frequently, maybe three, four times a week. Very, very few people outside of the, you know, pro bodybuilders are even trying to do that. And I think what we have is we have a whole bunch of people who go into the gym who do maybe four sets of some sort of standing calf raise. Mm -hmm. And then they do four sets on a seated calf raise, which is the most useless piece of equipment in the entire gym. <laughs> it need position. Your, your gastroc, that bigger, higher, meatier yeah. ball of calf muscles, not even engaged because it attaches on the femur, you know, above the knee. Okay. And you, you might as well just do straight legged calf work if you have limited training time. 
And then they go and do maybe eight sets of calves. Four of them are fairly useless on the seated machine. And meanwhile, someone's sitting down and I've got no issue with someone on their phone between sets. We need rest. But if someone's sitting down on a seated calf, phone in hand, three minutes between set, guess what? That's not effective trading. That is Mm. just resting. You're being lazy. And then they're going around going, oh, man, like my Jidex for my calves suck. No, your training fucking sucks. (laughs) Well, I've noticed that someone, people who have small calves often struggle as well with their, their quads and hamstring, like they just have smaller legs in general. So like a lot of women have like thicker legs. And so we have thicker, lower legs as well. So our calves get huge really easily. So I'm just wondering if like, this is a more of a male problem because males tend to just be put on more mass around their midsection and their torsos than they do their legs. And this is true for like body fat patterns, distribution patterns too. Like a lot of women distribute body fat in the, in the lower bodies, whereas men distribute body fat in the upper body. So I'm wondering if muscle pattern, like the way your muscle is built, the areas that get built easiest and fastest are also the areas where you might tend to, uh, be more prone to packing on fat there as well. I don't know. I have no idea. That would be a fascinating thing to study. And I'm not aware if there's anything on that. Mm-hmm talk to Brad Schoenfeld and be like, Hey, dude, research this. It stands to theoretically reason that if you have a lot of blood flow to a certain region and legs can kind of go either way because type circulation, especially for taller men on average, there's poorer circulation as you, um, as you get further down towards your feet. Um, Interesting. try Try to formulate this thought. I don't know what role this would play, but if you have better circulation to an area in theory, you would deliver nutrients better and you would see better muscular hypertrophy. It also stands to reason that lipids, you know, triglycerides are still transported (laughs) vascularly (laughs) right through your bloodstream. So maybe it makes sense that if you have better blood flow to a region, you would also deposit more fat there. I don't know if that's true. That is just purely speculation. Maybe I have no idea. Yeah. But I've noticed that certain people like, okay, so I would, tend to put on more fat, like in my lower body, if I don't exercise. Right. But my lower body also tends to be where I can get biggest muscularly. So I wonder if that's, there's anything to that, like with people in general, I have a suspicion that they're concurrent things that aren't that correlate, but aren't causal because women on average, they put on body fat more on their hips, glutes, and legs, thighs, mm-hmm. the same man. You mentioned med, men have a tendency towards like accumulating body fat in their midsections or lower chest, that sort of thing. Yeah. So there's that kind of genetic thing across the sexes. Women, on average, anybody who's coached men versus women know that women also like lower body training a lot more. And I have a mm-hmm. theory there. I think Do the you? volume and the frequency that women will train lower body probably plays a major role in their lower limb development. On top oh. of Women also being shorter on average than men have shorter bones. And -hmm. therefore we like, what's, who is it easier to put on muscle five foot four Lee priest or, you know, six foot four Gunter Schlurkamp. Now Gunter (laughs) monstrous human being, but you know, the, the short little, why are most pro bodybuilders on the shorter end of the spectrum? Right. Because those are the guys, muscle bellies, shorter muscle bellies. Right. So a shorter human is going to have a shorter muscle belly on average. So therefore the appearance of the size of muscle is going to be 
much bigger. So I suspect all these things play in together. There's one more thing. Once we start entering the performance enhanced realm, oh, okay. <laughs> for normal amounts of testosterone and other compounds, we have more androgen receptors in our upper bodies versus our lower bodies. And I think that oh. who's natural, who's not is one of the stupidest things we yeah. can focus on yourself. But when you see the guys around the gym, the bodybuilding crowd who had these enormous sets of traps, that's a really good indicator that someone may be enhanced, right? So oh, I didn't know that. And, and here's another thing. If you see a woman with really capped delts, those three-dimensional mm -hmm. round boulder delts, that is a pretty good indication that there is some supplement use there. Oh, okay. Use. Uh, because it is super, super hard for, for humans in general to have those really massive round boulder three-dimensional. Yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible and don't go around accusing people of whatever, who gives a shit, yeah. but just facts. So if you've got androgen use, steroid use, mm -hmm. that's going to disproportionately help grow upper body muscle mass more than it will grow lower body muscle. Whoa. Mass. I didn't know that. Double I totally pepper. didn't know that. Yeah. I have a question for you sure. as a trainer. I've noticed this, this request more and more commonly online recently, but as a trainer, how do you feel when you hear people online telling other people don't congratulate anyone on their weight loss? I saw this recently. Yeah. Uh, someone sent it to me and I'm like, holy shit, it's complicated. Mm -hmm. So on one side of the spectrum, it kind of goes back to what we we're talking about political correctness. You know, as coaches, especially, we should be a little thoughtful about, yeah. quote, commenting on other people's bodies, especially women. Sure. I have female clients, current and formerly, that if I delivered an unsolicited comment on their body, kind of knowing how they were, they'd be offended and probably end the relationship. Whereas there are other people where I know how they're wired in the relationship, where I know that they it's on the table to discuss the nature of their leanness and their appearance within the context of our goals and, and what we're doing. Mm -hmm. You have to know your audience. I think that's the most important. Yeah. Thing. It, it all ties into what you said earlier about this, this idea that any insinuation that uh, losing body fat is healthy, which we know to be scientifically and fundamentally factually true. Uh, and it probably is one of the biggest pieces of science denialism we're seeing, you know, from one side of the, of the spectrum of uh, beliefs. It's, you, ha you almost have to be careful saying anything. Now, I found for the most part, even though I'll touch on that stuff on a semi-regular basis on social media, I've had rare problems. Every once in a while, some nutcase will come in, freak out. There's an easy answer to those people. If they're completely ludicrous, you can like be neutral and refute them or whatever. Don't be an asshole. You look like the asshole and let them look like an idiot. And your followers are going to go, okay, cool. Like that person's a crazy person. Awesome. <laughs> uh, then again, there's also like, it's politically correct to call people crazy people now, I think too, but we know what we're talking about or you restrict them. No one sees their crap or you block them and no one sees their crap. This notion that we are in any way in someone is entitled to, who's an it follower who doesn't care to come in and be, be an antagonistic asshole that we are somehow supposed to drown ourselves in all this bullshit and like, be distracted by it. And they're allowed to damage our emotional well-being. We're busy coaching. 
people and we need to keep our emotional energy really, really <laughs> solid so that we were not distracted and stressed out and upset and irritated. And quite frankly, I don't care who you are. If someone's being an asshole on your social media, it will get inside your head. It is stressful. So if you train yourself to go block, gone, problem solved, mm -hmm. then that's it. End of story. So you don't even have to entertain that bullshit. But back to the original thing, I think you have to navigate it with nuance. I, I think on one hand, don't be an asshole who makes the audience of people who might be seeking out your services to lose body fat. Don't make them think that, well, oh, this person is judging me and laughing about me and, and oh, shaming. Yeah. there's real shaming versus everything now is shaming to the point where the word is meaningless. Mm -hmm. And then there's delivering very useful information that helps people who want to change, who want to feel more confident, who want to feel sexier in their body, all of which is perfectly valid if that's your goal. And if you're someone who shares that information in a way that does not feel judgmental or shaming right. outside of the extremes, and those extremes will always exist, then I think you're fine. And there can be room. And, and I'm, I'm a big believer in freedom of expression. I'm an absolutist when it comes to freedom of expression. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in policing this stuff. So if you're someone who has a more aggressive demeanor and attitude about this sort of stuff, well, you will probably attract an audience of people that resonates with. And I think that's fine. I don't think we should be legislating or, you know, can, we, we can't legislate people not being assholes. That right. Makes that makes perfect sense. I also, um, the word shame is really interesting because you have personal responsibility over your own emotions. So if you choose not to feel shame, isn't that always a good thing? Like, I don't know if someone says, okay, so I have a little bit of an insecurity about my hair, right? I like genetically, I have my mom's genetics and she got my dad's genetic or her dad's genetics, which is alopecia. And so I'm losing my hair. It's just genetic. That's how it is. And I'm like, I have to like come to terms with that. But at the same time, if someone were to say your hair is ugly, I would be like, yeah, I know <laughs> like, I'm not ashamed of it because I'm telling you here because I didn't do anything to bring that upon myself. It was passed down generation to generation and I'm choosing not to be ashamed of something, you know, because it's not like I don't I can either feel shame or not. You know, and I can even agree with the person and be like, yeah, it kind of sucks, but I'm not ashamed of who I am as a person because of that. You know what I mean? I'm not sure if you've ever read any of Brene Brown's work. You familiar with Brene? Um, I know who she is. I, I tried to read some of her work. <laughs> I suspect like with Brene, I mean, again, talking ideological stuff, uh, she, she skews probably more on that political correct side of things, but. I think for most people, you may get a lot. I mean, here's this big muscular guy here telling you, hey, go read, read Brene Brown, because there's a lot of good stuff in there, and it's specifically about shame. And she talks extensively about shame triggers. And ultimately, what you did just do there was something that she sort of does in this book, is if you can recognize what potential shame triggers are, you're in more control of the environments you put yourself in. Oh, interesting. Or... or bringing up certain topics around certain people who are shame triggers. So for example, someone's mother can be a terrible shame trigger for their weight, 
but be a great person to talk to, let's say, of their role as a parent or vice versa. Uh, a, you know, a, a mom can, so there's the mom, there's the grandma, and there's the kid. So the mom could have their mother, the grandma, who is a really wonderful, supportive person about the parenting style or a really judgmental person who makes them feel shame. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it takes knowing what the shame triggers are. Mm-hmm. one aspect of all this stuff. So but I think, here's, oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, here's another, like if I saw someone talking about how amazing it is to have beautiful, long, thick hair, I'm not going to be like, okay, you're shaming me because you're talking about how wonderful it is to have beautiful, thick hair. And that's by the same token, like <clears throat> appreciating athleticism and leanness and strength should not make people who don't have those traits feel ashamed. Like you should take personal responsibility for your own feelings and acknowledge, you know, whether or not, even if you think, okay, well, I'm not into strength and athleticism, not my thing. So live your own life. Like, don't, I just think fat shaming is just such a weird, I think anything shaming is such a weird way to put it because you don't have to feel shame. Right. And shame is not always a bad thing. Like we send people to prison so that they feel ashamed of the crimes that they commit and then hopefully get out and do something better with their life. I mean, shame is good so that we can change our behaviors eventually if you're doing something that needs to be changed, that you feel needs to be changed, right? So I'm not afraid of shame. If I did something wrong, I want to feel shame so that I can do better in my life. You know what I mean? I'll actually take that a little bit. And it's again, some of Brene's filter and she'll, she sort of distinguishes between guilt and shame. And this might actually be really useful. So I think what you're describing a lot of the stuff is actually what she calls guilt. So guilt would be, I did a bad thing. Shame would be, I am a bad person. Oh, if your identity is wrapped around your inability to do something and that you're a failure, that is a very negative thing that will self-perpetuate and someone who thinks that way isn't going to break out of that cycle. A lot of people who are struggling with weight loss feel like they're completely incapable. It's also a fixed mindset. If someone wants to use that, that sort of filter as well. Okay. Guilt is fine. So if we have someone who shit, I did a bad thing. And in your example of sending someone to prison, if you've got someone who, you know, makes a terrible mistake, whatever context it is, it goes, all right, I did a really, really terrible thing. I need to, you know, pay for that crime, but it doesn't define who I am. I can, I can do this. I can come out the other side. I can work on education and I can live a better life. That would be an example of guilt. The person Mm -hmm. who's rooted in shame thinks that they're incapable of doing anything other than whatever criminal behavior they're inclined towards. What do you think happens after that person spends five, 10 years in prison? If wow. That belief that they're incapable of anything else, that person yeah. goes straight back to that behavior. So it's it's understanding this, this game versus uh, sorry, guilt versus shame dichotomy, mm-hmm. which is why I think even if someone doesn't necessarily agree with everything, there's a lot of valuable stuff in reading her work and understanding. Okay. Things. So cool. Yeah, I'll have to check back into that. Now, I don't like, of course, shaming people, like trying to make people feel ashamed for their weight. Of course that's bad. Like, of course that's terrible. I'm not going to walk around pointing and shame, you know, like that's awful. Um, but I think that celebrating athleticism 
and, um, talking about the health benefits of, you know, leanness and, and losing weight that needs to be lost. I don't think that's shaming, you know? And it's victim. It's this victim culture that we are immersed within of people who cannot take responsibility for their own outcomes, their own actions. And therefore they want everything else that they see that they've chosen that offends them to go away. They want to police speech on social media. They want to, they don't want to see lean athletic bodies in advertising anymore because somehow that's, that's shaming. Now there's a good argument to say that Photoshopped, you know, um, fitness, not fitness models, well, even that, but Photoshopped models and say the cover of Cosmo that, you know, has been a problem for a very long time. There's a bit of a problem with what that does to women's body. (laughs) We know that, right. That's a problem. Is that inherently fat shaming? No, I don't think so. But do I think the answer, and I'm very careful how I approach this, but do I think that the answer is putting, some people don't like the language of morbidly obese. Guess what? It is a, it, it's a term we understand it. So I'm going to continue to use it. Uh, you know, morbidly obese models on the cover of these magazines and saying that they're healthy. Well, that's fundamentally dishonest too. Now, as a society, mm-hmm. it's sort of a fine line between normalizing it because guess what? We have an enormous, pardon the unintentional pun, uh, society of we we have an epidemic of obesity it just it is what it is we know that right and marketers are trying to market to those communities and quite frankly they've been inundated for a lot of time for many many years not seeing people that represent them the fact that we're seeing this stuff showing up in marketing now kind of makes sense from a lot of marketers point of view but what you're frustrated about it i agree is all of a sudden that it's politically incorrect it's shaming to have a person who would have been a representation of a normal looking human in say the 1960s or 1970s, or someone who's athletic. If we get, if we get past the tipping point where we, we demonize what is objectively a healthy body, we're in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I just pulled out my, my, uh, headphone cord. Hold on a second. I got excited. Anybody who gets the video of this, I have been posting to YouTube now. I always intended to, but I'm going to start to do it. Okay. Sorry about that. That's all good. Anybody who sees the video of this stuff will get the view. Your dog is just (laughs) sitting back on the couch, just just watching the whole time, just chilling, just enjoying this whole spectacle as well. Oh yeah. Roxy pants is back there. Oh, cute. Ozzy was here earlier, but he's disappeared. Sometimes he makes it appear to walk on my couch behind me. Um, (laughs) But this is this is a lot of fun. So I, I hope everybody's getting a lot of value and, and nuance out of this. And one of the things I, I always encourage people to do is then go and follow my guests. So, Aww. you know, for anybody, we'll come around to this, but I don't have a lot of time. But for anybody who isn't already following you or reading your writing or, or your social media or listening to your podcast, because I know you and Chris talk a lot about this. If anybody's getting the hint that you're not politically correct, go to go to your husband's Twitter, have fun, bring popcorn. <laughs> Oh, I know. Like, holy shit. Um, and, and it's entertaining, right? He's got to push the buttons. And, uh, I mean, he'll come home from work and I was like, hun, why? <laughs> why are you doing this? And I know he's got a big fucking grin on his face too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Some people are wired that way. They just love to stir up, stir up shit. And at least, you know, 
at least I know that writing for TD should, I won't get, I won't get kicked off for TD should because I said something on social media that someone found offensive and uh, was fat shaming. I, I don't think I've said this on air. I had someone go nuts over something that I said. I was just advocating for keeping the gym still open. Yeah. And, and someone who's really, I guess, aggressively on one end of, of the ideological spectrum lost their mind. No over, way. There were, there were a couple of people who I didn't even know who they were. started arguing. One lured the other in and there were a couple of trolls and one was up, nope, shut everything down. The other one seemed to just be attacking this person. And they were saying nasty shit to each other. Now, I didn't participate in that. I only countered arguments as to why I didn't think our gyms needed to be closed and the net benefit to our society. And so someone got in there. I, I ended up blocking the person because of something they said in another comment. Just like I said earlier, you don't have to tolerate this crap. And this person contacted the gym that I contract out of and went on a vicious tirade about, and of course, the attempt was to get me kicked out of there. Of course, the owner, thankfully, knows my sensibilities and my mm -hmm. professionalism and even looked at the post and was like the th claims this person made were fundamentally fact uh, like incorrect they were they were lies this person completely fabricated exactly what happened they were just pissed off because i didn't give them a platform and let them run their mouth and, and be an asshole um a wow. di disingenuous argument and then had this expectation that i was going to be disciplined and there were things like I was a dangerous person to have such a large social media platform. So that that's where doing. cancel culture comes from. It's it's okay. people like that person who just want to destroy your source of income because you had a different opinion. Like, I don't know how people can deny that cancel culture exists. There are a lot of people who are denying that it exists, but that's crazy because you had a different opinion. It's not like laws were being made based upon your opinion. They disagreed with you. And because you didn't like back down and say, I'm sorry, you're right. I'm wrong about everything. They went to your employer to try and get you yeah. fired. And, and, yeah. It's not even quote my employer. Like I'm a contractor, right? And okay. great friends. And I'm a, you know, certainly a, a big advocate for the, the brand and what this person certainly doesn't realize I brought more trainers into that umbrella corporation as contractors than anybody else has. And I work really, really hard to promote it and it's doing really well. That's awesome. And this person even like admitted they, they've been there a couple of times. They weren't even a customer. And then the owner's just like, uh, okay. And he wasn't even interested in pandering to this, this sort of th this whole thing. Right. And, and it's another thing I appreciate and, and they're reasonable. They're really smart about how they do business, but they're not going to be bullied by this sort of behavior. And I know you guys aren't either. Now, again, I'm also not someone who's prone to saying and doing a lot of shit that's going to be like, have me front of the line for the, the cancel firing squad. But at the but same it's time, so easy nowadays. So easy. I mean, the fact that you just stated something that was like really reasonable for a trainer to state, and then they tried to cancel you over that. I mean, it <laughs> seems like that it's getting worse and worse you know, especially if it works, like if, if the mob mentality and if cancel culture works, then it's going to get even worse. Like you can say even less, I mean, you can say things that are far more innocent and not even have an opinion and get canceled over nothing. It seems like. And, and I don't, I don't respect people who capitulate to the cancel mob. Um, and there's different kinds of cancel mob, uh, most recent example is probably John Cena apologizing because he called Taiwan a country. 
Um, I lost all respect for Cena after we did that. I lost all respect for LeBron James for something very, very similar along those lines. And, and anybody who knows what I'm talking about knows what's going on there. I won't get into that because that gets political too. But you know what? No, I'm sorry. Not playing that game at all with, with people. Then again, yeah. financial... Uh, the finances at stake that these people do when it comes to, you know, a large, you know, market, like the, the country that doesn't like certain things being said about it. We'll leave it at that. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> I, I, I don't think you guys have much publication or, or much of an audience base in that country. So I don't give two shits. Right. Well, yeah, <laughs> good. Great people, not a fan of the government of that country. We'll leave it at that. So I'm a little short on time here, but this was a ton of fun. Yeah. Even if, even if you, dear listener, didn't get anything out of this, I had fun. (laughs) Just kidding. Well, I've said this numerous times on air, so I hope the listener understands this. I don't do it for you guys. I do this for me. I do this (laughs) to hang out with, you know, my friends and, and connect with, you know, new people from the industry for an hour. And if you guys want to listen in and you get something out of it and you enjoy it, fantastic. I think it makes it way more authentic than just trying to, well, what would the listener like to hear today? Honestly, I I want you guys to have a blast. And more than anything else, please, if you have questions, please reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you guys. Um, I want you guys to follow me on Instagram. I'm trying to do a lot of good stuff with that, with my writing. You can find all my other stuff there. But more importantly, let's have you guys go and follow Danny. So where do they find you? Uh, Danny Shugart on Instagram, D-A-N-I-S-H-U-G-A-R-T. Um, and then on other social media platforms, I am absolutely boring. <laughs> I'm boring, but I'm, I'm going to post more about like plants and dogs and <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> if anybody goes to your Instagram, this is actually kind of funny. And you know, you get those highlights there, the stories that you save permanently. I was digging around and they looking for stuff yesterday mm-hmm. to chat about. And there's this thing where I don't know what it's called, but where you do this filter and you have the, the giant mouth and the kid, like almost like a kid face and the giant eyes. Oh Yeah. And, you were talking about you and Chris were going out a date. You guys ended up going like getting what, an oil change on your date. That was yeah, well, straight up hysterical. Do more of that. <laughs> so we, um, that was during COVID. So like everything was shut. You couldn't go in anywhere except certain places and you had to be masked and all that stuff. No, I think for a portion of time last summer, the mask mandate had been dropped and then it was re re-upped or whatever. So like, but things were still not completely open. So we went to the Walgreens drive-thru and then we went to go get an oil change. And that was our date. Here's it guys. Everybody, if, as long as you're not driving right now, literally go to daddy's uh, Instagram. It's like, I think you have like three highlight things. I think it's the one in the middle. Cause I just saw it yesterday and it's super funny. I always get a <laughs> kick out of those. So I'm, I'm saying do more of that shit. That would actually Aww. be entertaining. That'd be great. Uh, anyway, I'm really, really grateful you came on here today. Guys, everybody go follow Danny and uh, we'll chat a little more off air before my client gets here. And if anybody yeah. has any questions, please shoot me a message. Thanks. Thank you.